0: So my name is Liz Gray, and I am one of the pastors here, and I'm so delighted to welcome you to our Canopy Church this morning. And kids three to six, are uh, they're doing some things on that quilt over there. Simon, could you take up your position? There's going to be another opportunity in a minute for kids a little bit older to join Simon um, doing something, and I'll explain in a little bit. But first of all, uh, who knows what today is sometimes called by people? What are you going to be doing tonight? Yep. Okay, it's Halloween. Yeah, trick or treating. Yeah. So all around us, the world's culture is enjoying this day of Halloween. And it's an ancient, ancient tradition that goes back millennia, actually, of the culture kind of poking at death today. It's a death poking day. It's a day where you might go and sit and watch Coco. That's kind of fun. That's one of my favorite things to do. Many of you will go out looking for candy this evening. And it's a night where people kind of wonder about death. And so all around us we see like skeletons and graveyards and ghosts and all sorts of things. People who are not quite sure what to think about death. Maybe kind of poking fun about it a little bit. But it's also a day when a lot of children will dress up in their favorite characters from stories or, you know, your favorite lion or dragon might, you might bump into them on the street as you're walking down. It's a day which also is a day where people rejoice in life. But in the Christian tradition, today is also called All Hallows' Eve. And we're entering something which has got a very fancy name. And it's the only word I know, I think, in English, which has got two U's next to each other. It's a tridium. Tri- T-R-I-D-U-U-M. And there's another one. If anyone can tell me after the service what the other tridium is that we celebrate, then let me know. Weber's going to come up with the answer, I think. But um, So today is All Sa- Hallows' Eve. And then tomorrow November the 1st is all saints day when we remember saints. And then the next day November the 2nd is all souls day where we remember souls. And that seems like a fairly strange distinction in some way, but for saints when we think of saints quite often we think about people who honestly became a little bit famous perhaps by loving God so wholeheartedly that they began to be called saints like St. Francis of Assisi or Mother Teresa, and maybe some of you have got a favorite saint who you really, really admire, somebody who has wholeheartedly followed God in their lives. And then All Souls is where we remember everyone who we know who has died and who has gone to the Lord and who we miss and we want to remember. It's a good day of remembering people. And we're actually going to remember next Sunday on November the 7th, which is the first Sunday after All Souls. So Amy will be helping us think through, or will all be helping us think through what it means to remember those whom we, who've gone before us to be with Jesus. But today I'm going to take a few minutes because our lectionary rather delightfully gave us those readings which we had earlier, starting off with that passage in Deuteronomy. And I cannot do it justice, as Juliet did, but just hear this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is often called the Shema, but that's just the word which means hear. It's just to say, oh, you remember that bit in Scripture where it starts off with hear? This is it. So the Shema is the bit where you hear, hear, O Israel. It's a really, really important statement and phrase for both Jews and Christians. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more. But one I th- word I want to draw your attention to right at the beginning is the last word, which I will probably mangle, but it's essentially ma'od, ma'od. And it's an adverb, and we translate it to strength a lot of the time. But it really means, in my favorite definition, very muchly muchness with so much it's an exceeding word it's a muchly 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 word it's got force and abundance so for example saints who we think of as people who have very muchly loved god with their all their focus and so we today we're thinking about what does it mean to live very muchly What do you do where it requires all your concentration? Perhaps like Eva Elizabeth, you knit really complicated things. Or perhaps like Simon, you work on your scroll saw. But perhaps there's something you do which you know takes all your concentration. Okay, quickly turn to your neighbor and tell you what it is. Tell them what it is that takes all your concentration to do. Okay, all sorts of things which we focus on. So, kids, I am going to give you an opportunity. If you are not, if you are three to six, you are welcome to go and join um, Darren. But I am going to offer you a tempting alternative. If children want to practice concentrating intently, Simon has M and M's on um, this quilt down here. And the challenge is for you to see how many you can pick up with chopsticks uh, in a period of two minutes or something, and then you get to take them away and eat them while I'm preaching. So if you think you can concentrate really, really hard, you are welcome to go and join Simon. And Phil, yes, grown-ups are allowed as well. So feel free to go and pick up M&Ms very muchly. But for those of you who can resist watching the kids picking up chocolate with chopsticks, I'm going to just talk a little bit more. So the Shema is a very, very critical statement for Jewish people. It's something which they will have said every morning and every evening as they were children growing up. It's something you will hear in any Jewish service. And so as I was thinking about it this week, I reached out to Rob Schenk and he introduced me to an extremely friendly rabbi in Alexandria. And I got to go and sit on his porch for a while and ask him, why is this prayer so important to you? Oh, he said, it is not a prayer. So I felt straight away quite rebuked at that. Um, So uh, after we'd got over that little hump in our relationship, we moved on. And he said, it's not a prayer, it's a liturgical statement. It's a statement where you go in and you're going to declare about the oneness of God. And so in the synagogue, they start off with saying, Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then rather beautifully, something I didn't know, is that they then pause for silence. And in the silence, silently within themselves, they say, Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. And that extra line is like a rabbinic add-on. It's not in the original scripture. And so it's silent. But what the rabbi described to me is he said, this is a moment of collective awe. Isn't that beautiful? So the whole congregation says that, and then they stop in collective awe. Or and just focus on that oneness, the statement about the oneness of God, with all their brain, everything inside them, the, the left and right, the, the, the bits of their brain which are about serving other serving God, and then also the bits of their brain which are about serving themselves. Very muchly with their bodies, their minds, and with their Ma'od, very muchly all under, all that we're doing under the purview of God, all under the transcendent one, absolutely everything we say, do, breathe, think, act, all under the oneness of God. And we call, therefore, to love God very muchly and let it stir up in us the sense of collective awe As N.T. Wright put it, to pray the Shema was to embrace the yoke of God's kingdom, to commit oneself to God's purposes on earth as in heaven, whatever it might cost. It was to invoke and declare one's loyalty to one God who has revealed himself in action in the Exodus and now was giving his people their inheritance. And so as Jesus was growing up, he too would have prayed the Shema twice a day as a good Jewish lad, And he too would have had this idea about the transcendence of God. And so how remarkable when he knew what a kind of holy statement this was, that when he was challenged by the Pharisees, as we heard in that reading from the gospel just now, he took it and he kind of tweaked it. Listen again to what that passage from Matthew says. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first great and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Every single Sunday, we too say those words at the beginning of our service. You can read them there on page 124. We've only just done it. So Jesus takes this idea about the oneness of God and says, okay, here are the implications. The implications now are that we're going to love God, but that we are also then going to love our neighbors. And then along comes Paul. Oh my goodness, Paul, also a good Jewish lad who would have grown up praying the Shema twice a day. Paul, who also knew every letter of the law. And it then, did you pick it up in 1 Corinthians 8, which we heard a little earlier? Paul comes and takes that and rips it down the middle and inserts Christ right in there. And what is more, the crucified Christ. Paul said, and yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all th- are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Paul takes this... Holy statement and alters it shockingly, boldly. He drags it into his context and says, This is still true. God is still one over all. This is a a statement about being a kingdom people in the middle of a pagan world. But that as Christians, we see the oneness of Christ being revealed in the person of Christ. Let me quote N.T. Wright again, twice in one service, wow. The force of the revision is obvious. What Paul has done, or what someone else has done, which Paul is here quoting, is to separate theos and kyrios, God and Lord in the original prayer, adding brief explanations. A small step for the language, but a giant leap for theology. Jesus is not a second God. That would abrogate monotheism entirely. He is not a semi-divine intermediate figure. He is the one in whom the identity of Israel's God is revealed. And so Paul there is separating out God and Lord to help us understand the Father and the Son as two persons, but nevertheless, one God. And Paul then goes on in Ephesians, and he pulls in the Spirit as well, when he says, there is one body and one spirit Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We know God as one God, but what a wonder it is that we can know him in three persons. We can know him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in a moment, we're going to say the Nicene Creed together, and we will emphasize this faith, that we believe in one God. We will be anchoring ourselves to this truth, not simply saying that we know he exists, but saying that we trust him. We entrust ourselves to him, and that this is the foundation from which all our belief flows, that we very muchly believe in one God in the three persons, in the God who is manifest in the crucified Christ and by whom we pray through the Holy Spirit. And not only do we believe, but this belief evokes a response. And we act in our belief by very muchly loving God, by very muchly loving our neighbors. It's a response to our commitment. And for many reasons I think Jesus added this on, but I think in some ways it's because our response to our neighbors reflects our response to very much loving God. And the call of the Shema is a life of witness in our culture, a life which unambiguously and with determination points people to their neighbors to love them. And so as we invite God to know and love and shape and change us, we relax in trust into the work he will do in us through our loving, very muchly, our neighbors. So as you might have spotted, our kids were kind of motivated to do something very muchly this morning. In fact, poor Darren's been deserted entirely on the atrium quilt as people have come to very muchly focus on chocolate. So (laughs) what is it that you are very muchly focusing on today? And what is your motivation? Well, the motivation in loving God very muchly actually begins to be that we know him more. As we very muchly love him, the curtain comes back a little bit more. Every time we allow ourselves to know and love God, we know and love him a little bit more because we get more exposed to us about who he is and what he is and why he is. And as we come to love God more deeply. He answers that deep longing in our hearts for truth and meaning. And where, as Kurt Thompson would say, where we can feel seen and soothed and safe and secure, what a lovely quadrant of words. And so every Sunday, as we affirm this truth, we want to take moments of collective awe. We want to do it as we love each other and our neighbors, no matter how smelly and obnoxious, unkind and unfriendly they are. Because in order to love God, we need to take time to be captivated by him. I encourage you this week to take some moments to just simply sit and look at something beautiful. Examine the beauty of God. Take time to breathe and look for him. Focus your mind very muchly in complete awe. Because God loves us because he does, even though we too are smelly, obnoxious, unfriendly, and unkind. And he sticks with us, and he welcomes us, the entirety of us. And so this week, I invite you to think about what it means to concentrate very muchly on loving God. Even more than the kids focusing on their chocolate. Let's pray. Oh, I thank you so much, Father, for the way that Scripture unfolds gradually, deeper and deeper truth. And we thank you so much that you are the transcendent God, the one God above and in and over all things. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we are so grateful. And so this week, Lord, will you help us to very muchly love you more? to bring our whole selves into your presence, to focus and be, pay attention, both to you and to the work that you are doing around us. Thank you that you welcome us and that you love us very muchly, too. Amen.